Welcome, traveler, to Dungeons and Dialectics, the synthesis of tabletop role-playing games, philosophy, and theology. So, prophecies. They, they come up in these games sometimes. Sometimes, uh, you know, you're, you're just... Uh, yeah. Your DM tells you some shit's gonna go down, and it's, it's gotta go down, and then you do it, and that happens. Is that... That's what I have to say. <laughs> is that what a prophecy is to you? <laughs> a d- your DM? Well, yeah, I mean, so think about this. In religion, your god tells you some shit's gonna go down, right? Mm-hmm. Or your, you know, religious figure of choice. Maybe it's not a god, yes. you know, but... Um, and then, you know, maybe it does, or it usually... I mean, I, correct me if I'm wrong, Joey, but my impression from what you've explained to me, and we're, probably we're going to get into this, <laughs> is that uh, this shit, in fact, never goes down, and it's all just, like, bullshit made up after the fact. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that's a fantastic point, because they're, we're going to get into this, um, the kind of two ways that prophecy is used. One is bullshit that's made up after the fact yeah. with a point, and the other is is a prediction about the future that's that's not necessarily based in... Like oh, knowing that this exact specific detail is going to happen, but it's more a projection based on based on the past or the present. There's a proje- it's it's like some vague projection about what might happen. <laughs> that's not a prophecy. That's what I do every morning <laughs> when I wake up. <laughs> <laughs> You're prophesying every morning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like I wake up and I think I'm I'm gonna brush my teeth today. That's a prophecy about the future. There you go. You know, this is actually a really good point, and we'll get into why that's a great example later. But first, Matt, I'm gonna share a story about. Uh, about the ways that we use prophecy in the game because it is a staple of fantasy literature, so it makes That's a lot of sense that it would pop up in our true. games. Yeah. Very true. And so I'm running I'm running a game right now. Um, this is the game that I've been running for the past three years, basically since before this podcast launched. And the game, It's hard to remember a time before the podcast. <laughs> it, is, it is hard to remember a time before my, my life truly began <laughs> with... with our, our first episode, Session Zero. So I started this game, and I had decided that there was going to be this game. This game was moving towards something. And it was asking all these questions about like power and who gets power. And it was going to get to this, this point where a series of events happened to bring about some sort of kind of like doomy end times. Like, oh, the villains are so close to succeeding. And it was going to be really epic and exciting. And I decided to predict this or like you know put this kind of hint to the future we were moving towards in the adventure and so for the lore of the game for the setting in the continent of of nika i put i put this prophecy that nika was the name of this ancient dragon that literally like crafted the land herself and she painted like these corals in the ocean and she um like grew these massive forests and gardens and then she lay down and became one with the land and that's why the continent is named after her and that there's a prophecy that says the dragon's mouth must eat its tail or the world shall meet its end those that walk on land will drown those that swim the depths shall be consumed by fire there will be peace okay there will be peace. And so this is the this is the prophecy. And the idea is that one side of the country is called Nika's mouth, the dragon's mouth. And the other side of the country is called the dragon's tail because they look vaguely like a dragon mouth and a dragon tail. 
And so this kind of like symbol for the prophecy is a dragon eating its own tail. And the sort of inciting action, or at least from the player's perspective, the inciting incident actually happens like 30 years before the campaign began. But to the players, what it's putting the like putting is, the most important stuff before the game begins. Very good move. Absolutely. Good DM move. <laughs> Thank you. They have to learn about the history because the history is what is determining what is happening now in the present. And so what what happens is the king has risen to power claiming he is going to fulfill this prophecy. He is going to unite the diverse peoples of of the continent or the region in one under one nation and in doing so he will unite one side of the country the dragon's mouth with the other side the dragon's tail because if he does not the world will end Ooh. but if he does there will be peace this is his interpretation of the prophecy and i had decided before the game began oh this prophecy is in fact semi true in that there is going to be people on land will drown and people in the depths will be consumed by fire and the players would be able to maybe figure that out ahead of time or when it happens would have the aha moment of oh this is what the prophecy said like how do we stop this and they would have to like figure it out and that was my plan yeah what do you think well, matt i think um knowing you this probably didn't work out i still have time <laughs> to make it work well wait so i actually do, i have a couple of questions so yes. you said it was the king's interpretation of the prophecy i mean maybe this is going to go into the next part of your story but that makes it sound like his interpretation was in fact wrong so there are multiple interpretations so i sort of wrote it sort of vague in that does peace happen after the world ends does peace happen if it's avoided is there really an or in there or is it saying that or is it like a mistranslation yeah the peace of death <laughs> <laughs> is it a mistranslation and it should say the dragon's mouth must eat its tail and the world shall meet its end ah right so like all these like different vagaries where you put the punctuation marks could could change the meaning of the of the prophecy and so the idea that this is this is one person's interpretation that he is using to further his own political goals. Okay, that's interesting. I mean, because I detect, I mean, there's an internal division here, actually, because there's the DM or God kind of, there's the sense of a prophecy of of uh, something that will happen or something mm -hmm. that, you know, something will happen, whatever precisely will happen is yeah. up, to, up for interpretation. Well, wait, so, but you didn't tell me, how did yours, how did your prophecy end? Did it actually go well? So it hasn't, we're still running the game. And this oh, is the so you we can't were, spoil it. I can't, that's why I can't tell you exactly what's going to happen. Because, okay, okay, because okay. this is the thing. I thought. Some some of our listeners might be engaged in this. I, I uh, none of my players listen to this podcast. What? Uh, oh my God. No, I mean, I don't want them to be spoiled. Okay, whatever. Anyway, I um up until very recently, I thought this game was over because one of the main players like dipped out. He was like, you know, I'm not super interested in this campaign anymore. I'm an High adult level now. Play isn't <laughs> no, no, we're doing another one at lower level. He's like, high level play isn't really for me. I don't like all this like weird planar travel shit. I miss the days when it was like political intrigue and I agree like, that my character was this no I, I agree with him too I would I prefer doing low level stuff but I enjoy the higher level things and there's some more interesting things you can do but I was really disappointed that I was like all right well I'm gonna wrap up this campaign because we're just starting this new one yeah and so now we have like depending on how you count it two to four campaigns running at once with the same kind of group of people depending on who's available god damn and so I thought to myself well we better wrap this up we're gonna I'm gonna shorten all of these adventures so that we face the big bad in like two sessions and like fuck the prophecy. Well, it's not going to happen. Fuck them. Or maybe it'll happen in a future adventure later. I don't know. But 
last session we were playing and everybody's like, how close are we to the end? And I was like, well, I sort of shortened it and like cut out a few parts because I figured we were going to switch over to the other campaign. And everyone's like, no, I'm loving this campaign. This is so great. I want to play my character. What? I want to see what's happening. And so Prophecy's back on, baby. So Joey, uh, I noticed you're uh, you're railroading your players like the big dumbass that you are. You want you want you want to tell me more about that? Now hold on, hold on, hold on. You're 100 percent right. This is a the prophecy is a terrible idea. And I realized that about like halfway into the into the game where I was like, oh, we are not following any of the steps that would get us to prophecy happening. And the prophecy happening is not one of the interesting things to the players. And that was because I did a good thing. And the good thing I did, Matt, was I listened to what the players wanted. Ah. Right? So I had this idea about what the prophecy was going to be and like, oh, we're going to have this like whole side thing with there's this leader that's going to save everyone from the prophecy going badly. But like then we never established him because he didn't make sense with their backstories. The backstories they came with were that, oh, we're like our father was this like uh, wizard who worked for this other wizard and we're his kids. It was old man. We have a mysterious backstory. Oh. And we don't know what's going on. And then the others the other three players were like, oh, well, we're sort of in uh we're like social revolutionaries, and one of us is like secretly a noble, but has like a secret identity, and we're facing off against the king in this like political intrigue. And so I tied the king into the secret backstory of the other parties members so that they would they would end up being kind of united on against this this bigger threat but then that ditched everything that was prophecy related yeah well i mean this is better than the time you sent them back and back and into the past in order to stop you know this monster or whatever uh remember it's like they had they had to they lost a month of their lives or something and you sent them back in time to stop (laughs) it and then they bought a house instead of doing what they were supposed to do (laughs) yes yes 100 percent um, you're really bad with this, Joe. You're always railroading your players. <laughs> what are you doing? I just have such good ideas that I have to, I have to force them oh in. Oh my God. You're, yeah. Well, <laughs> it does sound like you. Yep. <laughs> They'll thank me later. <laughs> They'll thank me later. That's, that's the thing is that, um, Dungeon Masters, you will almost never be able to come up with something more interesting to the players than just like whatever they want to do. Yeah. I mean, it because, well, that's because what the players want to do is often, uh, so f- weird that it, yeah it kind of unsettles uh established narratives you know <laughs> it unsettles us it's unsettling it is unsettling so matt why are we talking about prophecies today well we're talking of all days we're talking about prophecies today of all days because it's the holiday season and christmas is upon us and uh there's a couple of prophecies Tis. there's a couple of prophecies about this guy uh who's di- who i think i'm told he died a-, a couple thousand years ago i don't really know that much about this guy but um yep his name is Yeshua Ben Yosef. That's a nice uh that's a nice little throwback to our last holiday special, Timely Christmas Meditations on Virginity. <laughs> Take a listen if you're if you like body humor. If you like yeah. I'm still convinced that he's Joseph's son. I'm not gonna <laughs> Or also uh I think what's his name? Philo, the like the Jewish Roman guy, I think said that mm-hmm. Jesus' father's name was Pantera and he was a Roman legionnaire. Ben Pantera. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, so that's an option. That is an option. So yes, Jesus, aka Yeshua, was a um was born on not like around this time, the twenty fifth of December. He was born in the spring, but <laughs> we celebrate it now, anyways. And and a lot of his the story of of Jesus's birth, when you read it at face value or when you like listen to the story, 
Yeah. It's like, it's silly. Yeah. It's just a bit silly, Matt. I mean, do you really think a guy was born in a, in a fucking dirty hole and they brought him gold and stuff? Come on. <laughs> Not that part. <laughs> that is that, also that happened. Silly. That was real. <laughs> that was all real. <laughs> um no, I mean that if you read especially if you read um if you read Luke's account uh or sorry uh Is it Luke? Matthew's account of the mm. um of the nativity. Yeah. He they have this whole thing where Jesus is born in Bethlehem and then and then Herod, King Herod decides he's going to murder all the children in his in Judea. Definitely happened. Definitely happened, and um, I think I feel like we're playing our hand a little too early. Oh yeah, <laughs> sorry about that. Keep going. Yeah, no. Well, I was being serious. Yeah, it happened. <laughs> yeah, it happened. <laughs> and so, and so the this angel comes to to Joseph, and he's like, Joseph, Herod's killing all the children. You got to get the fuck out of here. Go to Egypt. Get your ass to Egypt. <laughs> get your ass to Egypt. Then after after Herod's dead, the angel comes back to Joseph and he's like, "Okay, Herod's gone. No more baby murderers. You can go back to uh, to Judea." And so they go back to Israel and they they get to Judea and they hear, "Wait a second. There's this asshole Archelaus who's reigning instead of his father Herod. He probably sucks too. So let's go to Galilee and finally to this." random little backwater town called Nazareth. Uh-huh. And at face value, this story is like, it's ridiculous. It's like around the world right? in 80 days. <laughs> They're like going all over the place. Yeah. And then you you find out as you're reading this that this is all to fulfill prophecies. Oh, so he, the Messiah had to be from all these different places. Exactly. So, so you'll read it and it's going along and it's saying like, oh, and he was born in Bethlehem because like it said, he'll come from the line of David. He'll come from the throne of david that is what is written it gets to him going to egypt he says take the child and his mother and escape to egypt stay there until i tell you for herod is going to try and kill the child so he got up took the, his mother uh during the night and left for egypt and so was fulfilled what the lord had said through the prophet out of egypt i called my son mm. right and then we get to nazareth and we see he went and lived in a town called nazareth so was fulfilled what was said through the prophets that he would be a Nazarene. Ooh. And so, if you are reading this, you can't possibly really take this seriously, right. can you, Matt? No, because, I mean, this is obviously some political shit. Actually, you know, I'd be curious, you probably don't know this because you're not good enough, but, you know, we know, you know about this, namely that there's an order of composition to these texts. I think they think Mark yes. is the oldest one or whatever, and then Matthew yes. and Luke, and then John's the mo most recent of the four canonical gospels. Okay. So that is the most that's the prevalent prevailing scholarly theory. Yes. Yes. OK. So what I want to ask is, is this sort of finding different places, right? OK, Jesus was here and he was here as he was here. Is that in Mark or does that only emerge in these later texts? Because if it only emerges later on and I, like, I, I don't know this, that would indicate that it's a way of coping with like people saying, oh, um, well, look. You really early church. Jesus can't have this functional role in our society because he doesn't fit this criteria. And then mysteriously, 40 years later, the new <laughs> the new gospel says, but actually he also wandered around here. <laughs> that is an excellent question. Um, you are correct about the this is like the prevailing scholarly theory of the order of the books is that there's Mark, which is one of the earlier texts, and then Matthew and Luke borrow from Mark and they add their own things. Yeah. And there's actually a, a second earlier source called Q. Yeah. Um, 
and there's another like I think it's it might be the Gospel of Thomas. Don't quote me on that. That's just like a list of sayings of Jesus, and some of those pop up uh-huh. as well. And so the theory is that Q this source that we have not actually found yet is where you get all the material that is not in Mark, but is shared by Luke and Matthew and that Luke and Matthew then add in their own things. Yeah. And then John is clearly familiar with all of these traditions and borrows from certain parts of them, but then adds his own spin on it. And he also has what a lot of people will look at as a much more kind of like spiritual, metaphysical, almost Gnostic way of describing these, these stories because whereas the nativity scene stories only appear in Matthew and Luke in the canonical gospels. Oh. The um Mark doesn't have anything like that and John's is is the very famous in the beginning there was the word and the word was with God and then blah 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 the word became flesh. Oh so you did know. And so it's a much more kind of like heady stuff. I don't know why I doubted you. So you didn't so I was right though my hypothesis was correct that a lot of this nativity stuff is in Matthew and Luke and not in Mark. Uh-huh. Okay. That is correct. Okay. So well, read into that what you will. So so so. <laughs> <laughs> that that may be that may reflect what it is that that you're saying. I think it would be hard to um uh, to, to demonstrate that that wasn't. You'd have to. Well, yeah. The problem is you'd have to find this Q document and see what was in that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Maybe. I mean, I'm trying to think. I don't think the epistles get so into in Jesus's origins, but I, I I'll double check that later. Okay. we'll we'll re- re-record over this part so I sound smarter. Nice. If it's not true. But uh, they don't get into his, his origins as much. So you're not going to find that. Now, how much of that is because that's not their focus versus right. the church was facing... Different issues. Like critique, etc. But that's a good question. Is that the motivation of the gospel writers to establish Jesus' authority by linking him to these, these prophecies? Because... Because you look at this and you're like, oh, well, like, there's no way that, like, all this terrible shit happened to this one guy and he was, like, carted around the Mediterranean. Well, I mean, but the- in addition to that, there's just no, like, some of the stuff that they say happened, right? Like, oh, they're killing all the children or there was, like, this new tax on everybody who had a child or whatever they, yeah. they say happened. There's, like, no historical mm-hmm. data that says anything like that happened. And there yeah. would be because this was part of the interconnected Roman Empire world or whatever, right? Exactly. And that's... That's the thing, um, is that uh, that in Matthew and Luke actually disagree about this. They hit several of the same points, right? Like they have to hit Nazareth and they have to hit Bethlehem. Both of them have to hit that. But Luke does it in reverse. Luke is saying, oh, well, Joseph's from Nazareth, but then how do I get him into Bethlehem? How do I get Jesus and to so, Bethlehem? <laughs> how do I? They're play, it, it is. It's like it's like playing a board game where they're like, uh, what, what, the, the like, win condition. I have to play all yeah. these cards in the in the right order to get Jesus to all these four places or whatever. <laughs> exactly. And then I fulfill the prophecy. Yeah. Um This could be a good game, Joey. Yeah. I think this is uh this is the next Dungeons and Dialectics hit. Yeah. And so then Luke says, Oh, well, there was a census during that time. Yes. Everybody had to go back to the town of their lineage, of their like father, and because Joseph is from the line of David, King David, he has to go back to Bethlehem. Yeah. Is the is the theory that that Luke points out, but one, it's the reverse of what what Matthew says. Matthew says, "Oh, he starts in Bethlehem, he starts in Judea, but then he has to go to Nazareth to avoid pers- political persecution." Right. But that both of them are saying, "Oh, well, he had to be a Nazarene." So they agree in one of the criteria; they just don't agree about how it's met. Yes, exactly. Okay. And so, a lot of these prophecies, you know exactly where in the text they're referring back to, right? So there's 
there are a lot of places in the Old Testament where it talks about this uh, this ruler coming out from the line of David. So you have like Isaiah 9 says, he will reign on David's throne yep. and over his kingdom, blah, blah, blah. And that he will, there's another one where he says, he will come up from the shoot of Jesse, uh, which is in David's same line. And that's in his Isaiah 11. And there are a few others, right? Yeah. So it's clear, oh, it has to come from the line of David. Bethlehem has to be there. The reference to out of Egypt comes from Hosea 11.1. 1. When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, Ooh. I called my son. And that's what's, that's what's being referenced. Wait, could, could, you, could you repeat, repeat that line? Yeah. Hosea? Out of, so in, the, in Matthew, yeah. he says, And so was fulfilled what the Lord has said through the prophet, Out of Egypt, I called my son. Right. And the verse he's referencing is Hosea, yep. which is 11.1. 1. When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. Yeah, what the hell? That doesn't sound like a prophecy. That just sounds like a redescription of Exodus. You know, put a put a pin in that because okay. we're going to come back to this. Okay, because you know, to me, when I heard that, I thought, okay, so I've been reading on and off. I actually don't have it with me. It's in my other living place. Uh, Elaine Pagel's book, The Origin of Satan, which I strongly recommend everyone read. I mean, I don't know what you think of it, but I enjoyed it. Oh, it's a fantastic book. Love that book. Elaine yeah. Pagels is, is a really good scholar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's got all this interesting stuff about like, I mean, it's called The Origins of Satan, but in a way you can also read it as sort of like the origins of a certain type of anti-Semitism as well, right? Yes. That emerged in, in Europe, or I guess like the Roman Empire and then mm -hmm. Europe. Um, and one of the points that she talks about a lot is the way in which there's sort of this um, internal contestation over what it means to be a Jew and what Judaism really amounts to at the time, right? And the Christian sect, according to her, if I'm recalling correctly, kind of was not necessarily accepted by the people whom they wanted initially to accept it, namely other Jews. So then they transition over to, okay, uh, we're going to get like some Gentiles in on this or whatever, right? But yeah, that's you can kind of maybe see a trace of this in this line. Okay, so this line prima facie is about just the Jewish people coming out of Egypt. But if you want to interpret this in a way that kind of brackets Jews and then allows for an integration of non-Jewish people. My son mm -hmm. can be more to do with this specific figure that anyone can look up to rather than a, than a specific, you know, group of people. Does that make mm -hmm. sense? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, and there's debate in a lot of the kind of like quote unquote prophecies about that later get applied to Jesus. Like Isaiah, especially he has like four songs of the suffering servant yeah. where people will ask. And I think, this might be in oh goodness, I forgot his name. I'll put it in the in the show notes, the book that this is or that I read this particular um kind of like debate in. But the question of whether this is looking up to a specific person, whether this is prophesying the coming of the Messiah, right. or whether this is applying this kind of framework of of Messiah to um to like people in general or to like the vague sense of like, oh, we as a people will rise up and or will suffer, or will bring peace, or oh, that's interesting. Or what have you? So, the Messiah need not be necessarily a single individual. It could be like a a social movement or a group of people or something like that, right? De depending on what text you're reading, there are there are people who will argue that. Okay. To different to like varying degrees, yes. Hmm. So we're gonna we're gonna get, but we're gonna get back to this. We're putting a pin in putting this, a pin in this this thing about about coming out of Egypt. Okay. Just another quick note. Micah five says, "But you Bethlehem, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times." 
so you see that, like, oh, it has to come out of Bethlehem. Right. With Nazareth, this is a sort of weird one, because in, in Matthew, it says, so was fulfilled what was said through the prophets that he would be called the Nazarene. Now, here's the only issue with that, Matt, yeah. is we don't have that prophecy. What? We don't have it. What do you mean we don't have it? So, like, the others have citations, and if you read through your Bible, which I know you have, you'll, it'll have, like, a little footnote, and... Hi, Matt's mom. Oh, God damn it, Matt. Hold on one second. Matt, I can't talk. I'm recording with Joey. Matt, don't be such a dick to your mom. <laughs> I'm sorry, but she would... I was trying to say, Mom, I'm recording, but she kept coming in. So, hold on. Okay, what's the question? When am I leaving? Okay, so not until like uh, one o'clock or something. Starts at two fifteen. Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay, we're good. Okay, mom, I'm recording my D and D podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know, I know. But classic, classic. We're really, we're really breaking stereotypes, Matt. We got to cut this. <laughs> this is go. It's a hundred percent going in the episode. No. Oh God. We'll talk about this after. <laughs> okay. So rewind. The we, others, if you read your Bible, you'll find a footnote yeah. that will reference, oh, this is the prophecy that he's referencing. This is the Bible verse. You can go find it. You can look it up. You won't find it on this verse because it doesn't exist. Okay, so does that mean that this was in reference to some shared document that people thought was important that's not preserved or what? Boom! Now you're starting to get it! Yeah. Matt, this is fantastic! That's one of three theories. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> theory one. It's a source lost to time. The Q was, document. Yep. Well, not the Q document. It would it had to come from the like older document. Oh, right. It would be. It would be okay. So this would have to be something that people already regarded as like a exactly prophetic text. exactly. That's that's theory number one. Theory number two is that people thought that Nazarenes sucked oh, okay. and were terrible, and and we know this because in John is it like John a backwater or something. Exactly. Uh-huh. It's kind of like, it's what we would today call in uh, like kind of elevated political parlance, we would refer <laughs> to them as shithole countries. Yeah, so it would be like if someone said uh, the Messiah has to come from Fresno. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, just, it, you know, it would be like, I don't know, Compton, right? Yeah. Oh, okay. So it comes from Compton. So there was a classist so, sort of yeah element here or okay. exactly and so this is just a side note the album straight out of compton yeah is like i think in well, i don't know just because i'm like a theologian straight out of nazareth has, <laughs> straight out of nazareth i think that i think that that's a, a really apt comparison because you know people thought like people had prejudices about compton and people who came from compton and like that community and especially like black people so Straight out of Nazareth, um, crazy motherfucker named Nazareth. Crazy motherfucker named Jesus. Amen. <laughs> Amen. That's what we're singing in my church next Sunday. <laughs> Hallelujah. That'd be badass. Um, I would go to that. One. It would be super cool. I know you would. <laughs> so, and and we know this because in John one forty six, Nathaniel says, "Nazareth, can anything good come out of Nazareth?" Oh. And so we know that this is like the the vibe at the time so and that is supported by sort of some like uh his other historical documents and archaeological evidence so is the idea that they made it up because everybody hated Nazareth? <laughs> yeah and that you know there's a psalm in 22 that says but i am a psalm 22 6 to 7 says i am a worm and not a man scorned by everyone despised by the people i'm a worm. all who see me mock me they hurl inset insults shaking their heads yeah and so people have looked at this and said oh well see where it says here 
that's probably a reference to him being a Nazarene, and that's what it means. Really shaky foundation. That's some shaky shit. I don't buy it. That's theory number two. Theory number three is that I mentioned in Isaiah 11.1, it says that um, it talks about the Messiah and like there will come forth a branch from the shoot of Jesse. And the word branch in Hebrew is netzer, which is represented by the consonants N, Z, and R, which are the same consonants you use in Nazarene. So the suspicion is this is like either a bad copy down of like the Aramaic or Hebrew that was written before. It's like a subtle reference to Jesus being uh, the branch in quotations, which was an early way of referring to the Messiah or something to that effect. Okay. The point is we don't know. Right. But it gets stuck in there and both the both nativity stories have them have him being Nazarene. And so so they have to just cart him around the around the Mediterranean. Now to hit the they have to hit the places. They got you gotta hit the places. Yeah. Now before we get back to the serious stuff that you were talking about about coming out of Egypt, yeah. I wanna do I wanna stop with the fun stuff. Okay. I want to. I want to do something. You want to get real. I want to get real. Okay. There's, no, I want to start with the. I want to keep the fun. Keep the fun rolling. Oh, okay. I don't know what I'm saying. Joey, I don't. Okay. What are you saying? You said we we're gonna get real, and then you said we're gonna. Okay, whatever. Keep going. Okay. So what? What the the, the ten thousand foot view on this is that the there's like there's like all these prophecies that they're just trying to slot in. I guess. Yes. Okay. So what should I draw out of this? That they were just rail. So. The, the, the the apostles were railroading Jesus into a. They're railroading the story. They're railroading the story, yeah. dude, just like you. Well, it's kind, of, it's kind of like if the DM, if the DM were to say, "Well, I wrote this this prophecy about like like all these places that my players have to go, so now I have to give them little like random fetch quests to to get them." To no, I think it would be more like it's it's more like really what I said a while ago that I don't. We might cut that part, so I'll just repeat my idea. Um, which is this, you give them a prophecy, but it's radically un- interpretively underdetermined, and then you just make it fit whatever they did. <laughs> so it would be like, you give them a prophecy, they just do whatever they do, and then at the end, or at some point, you're like, wow, this, you fulfilled the prophecy. Look, you did this thing, and that's what was hinted at when I said blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. So it's that's what it sounds like they did. It sounds like it was some b- bad interpretive praxis, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. So the... The the tie-in, I want to go back to what you asked about coming out of Egypt. Yeah. Like, that doesn't sound like a prophecy. Right. Right? That's because, Matt, it's yeah, not. well, I already spoiled this when I said it's not. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, I didn't know it's not. It just obviously isn't a prophecy. <laughs> All right. Well, <clears throat> not everybody has noticed okay. that. So, <laughs> I just read it one time and noticed, the, you know. So, what it is, is this comes from Hosea. Yeah. Um, Hosea 11... One and in Hosea eleven one, Hosea is talking about <clears throat> he's talking to like the the leadership and the people are at war and there is like bloodshed and chaos. Yeah, and there's like all this like like sin and people have have abandoned the law of God, and so he says to them he says to them when Israel was a child he's like remember this. Israel was a child. I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. And what he's doing in this context of like chaos and sin and um, and oppression, he's saying, remember that God liberated yeah. you from Egypt. He liberated our, our people. He saved us from people. And so that means 
two things. One, it's a it's it's a reminder. Oh, God loves us. He cares about us. God will. Um, God and this is a God that that promises liberation and is opposed to oppression and violence and marginalization yep. and slavery, et cetera, et cetera. Which like has two sub points b- below it. It's like, hey, don't worry. Like God is God has got this. God is is faithful to God's promises, but also don't be such like fucking douchebags and stop oppressing. You people. know. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. Or do you have the second point? And the yeah. second the second big thing is that he is reminding reminding the um the the royalty the leadership in this time the monarchy that oh remember you like we have an alliance with god god has made promises to us freely but that means that that we also should be reciprocating got to keep up our end promises because if god has given us yeah if god has given us this land and has given us this power and we abuse that we're failing our alliance with god that has been established so there's a lot of like political dimensions you could tease out of this and probably some of them are contradictory so i'll just give you the thought i had i wonder if there's a sort of implicit critique of i mean not implicit as in it's in the text but one could draw out a critique of something some things that happened in the early church out of this insofar as like if you're thinking of it in terms of our son god's son being israel rather than jesus right Mm -hmm. that sort of proscription against you know marginalization and all these things can maybe be read you know like okay so i can project this outward maybe that wasn't the intent but you could see how you could project it to other cultures other contexts you would avoid some of these perils right if everything becomes about jesus then you lose the at least at first right i mean the prescriptive power in the same way it's like okay it's got to be about my relationship to jesus and what i'm doing with respect to jesus now maybe you can regain Mm -hmm. out of that the proper political message or whatever but you know Mm -hmm. i don't know i'm just trying to think about the way in which modifying the denotation or whatever of this term could have i don't know led to not led to anything in particular but maybe inoculates against the radical political dimensions because in some ways this is a um uh, reading the text like this is is a bit of a deeper and more nuanced, more like kind of like interesting way that brings like new understanding out right. of it. But also, like you can still take out a personal message of like, oh, well, this is what it means to me, and this is what it's saying about Jesus. Right. But it does. Well, that's like two degrees. We'll you know get what into, I mean? It's yeah. like instead of it being one yeah. degree immediately, you have to then you yeah. first have to have okay, I've got this uh, relationship established with this particular individual, yep. and then through that, I can project it outwards in these yep. ways. And maybe that's still going to get Can you be, the yep. result you want, but it's 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 like a degree removed. Which then, if you're thinking about the history of like the justification of you know colonial power and all these things, that one degree might yeah. be like enough <laughs> to have you know justified or enabled whatever certain tendencies like oh i can convert these people because as a matter of fact you know we're not supposed to be like being bad to these people but the justification of that runs through jesus so i have to get them right Mm -hmm. with jesus first and then we can like be good to them (laughs) yeah exactly exactly and this this particular like phrase there are a few there are a few things that it can be doing in this text because it's in the first when it first appears hosea 11 1 He's talking about a context, the context in which he's he's living, and he's like, "Hey, yeah. when when Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son." So he's actually referencing something else, and so this text in Matthew is referencing both the Hosea text, yeah. so the context 
that Jose was in that he was talking about and and the context of liberation from from Egypt. And so this has a few different layers in the context that uh, that is being read in the New Testament, because one, the the New Testament is very critical of the leadership in in the community at that time and like corruption and like abandoning their their like practices and their compassion and their following of you know of the commandments and it's a context of occupation by a foreign empire and so he's referencing both both an exhortation to to fulfill the alliance and to you know continue following God's commandments, many of which uh, involve like, you know, upholding justice for the marginalized and righteousness and not exploiting people, etc. But also a promise, it's referring to a promise of liberation from From like the literal political situation. Exactly. And it's doing so in a way that's a little bit sneaky, because if you if you're not Jewish and well versed in these texts, reading Mm -hmm. this, you will read over this and you're like, what a bunch of like lunatics that think that Jesus was carted around the Mediterranean for like five different places. Like, obviously, this is bullshit. It's not right. real. And then you miss the point. So this is an issue with, as we talked about in previous episodes, uh, being overly interested in sola scriptura, mm-hmm. literalist interpretations, is there's all these allusions being made for like internal, important political reasons at the time that if you're just thinking about, okay, like what's the literal meaning of this? Or, you know, let's just only think about the text itself. You're going to totally skip over the actual, or at least part of the point. Mm-hmm. Is that the idea? I mean, and this is the thing that like, you know, with biblical literalism, yeah. That is strange to me. It's like a very literal reading of these. Well, I guess you're right. If you read it like literally, oh, this is supposed to be a prophet, a prophecy. It doesn't it doesn't make sense. But if you're really like if you're reading the Bible on the terms that the Bible has set for itself, that reading is just it doesn't really make sense. The thing that one of the tactics or the way that the Bible refers to biblical texts is you will notice that it never uses like chapter numbers or verse numbers because those didn't exist. Oh, is that right? The way you referred, <laughs> they did not exist. Wow. No. So when Trump said uh, minds. two Corinthians one six or whatever, he was really kind of he was trying to make a callback to the days when these numbers didn't exist. A hundred percent. Um what you did instead was you said the first line of the text. Oh, interesting. That sounds way harder. It sounds way harder unless you're really, really well versed in these texts. Right. And so that's why Enuma Elish is called Enuma Elish because that's the first line of the Oh, text. this was like a general Near Eastern practice at the time? This is exactly, okay. exactly. This is how you refer to text. Genesis 1 was called Bereshit Bara because that was the first line of the text. And so, out of Egypt I have called my son is the first line of the text. It's the first line of chapter, that's why it's 11, chapter 11, 1 of Hosea. So it's referring to that page uh-huh. in the Torah. And so it's, it's referring to this, this whole this whole thing so i don't understand how if you if you read the bible and you recognize that this is how the bible functions that you could get this other reading out of it that like oh it's actually meant to be a prophecy i'm not the guy you know you're not the guy guy to ask neither am i so when we read when we read the other texts uh, the prophetic texts in a similar way we see that oh um a lot of the the cross references come from isaiah Okay. And so 
while the the specific text that's cited from Isaiah is just like, oh, coming from Bethlehem, coming from David's line, or there's another apocryphal story that cites like, oh, the ox knows its master, the donkey is its the donkey its owner. And then that's a reference to how the ox and the donkey are present at the birth of Christ. Right. So like Isaiah is, is pulled out in a lot of these, but is this a reference to oh, that's how you know the Messiah? Or is this referring back to, oh, remember Isaiah, who was so critical of the monarchy yeah. during um, uh, during his time as a prophet? Is this a reference to the ways that he talked about justice in that period? And that, that is, that's what this is actually trying to call back to. This actually gets brought up again in Luke 4. Yeah, Isaiah 61. So in Luke... Isaiah 61 gets cited again. So this is more references to Isaiah. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, the recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free and proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And so what it's doing here, I would say, is not necessarily saying trying to establish the authority of Jesus in the sense that, oh, people were doubting his authority. We need to like hit all the got to hit the, the beats <laughs> to to prove that that this is the guy we should listen to no we're tying him to this tradition whereby Isaiah is denouncing the sin of the monarchy because this is while 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 Israel was still in a monarchy and specifically one of these um one of these references about a new child coming and like being a peaceful ruler and and fulfilling the the law of God comes right after the king Ajaz has sacrificed his son to a pagan idol wow. to get like to get a bonus points <laughs> to get good higher he's fighting with foreign to enemies. get higher dps <laughs> <laughs> exactly and so and so in the face of like kings literally sacrificing their children to to win wars yeah. he's Isaiah is saying, no, 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 no. We need a new leader, and this is what our new leader is going to be like. And so this is tying it back to that tradition in a sneaky way so that anybody who's not familiar with the texts, <clears throat> evangelicals, will read this and and get confused and think, oh, this is some wacky prophecy that either doesn't matter or is like unimportant, is is dumb if you're like a Roman, or is literally the most important thing ever and we should like analyze this and come up with all sorts of weird ideas about this that will determine how we live our lives so Je- which is the more kind of evangelical fundamentalist way of, you- of Jesus reading. is being the son of God is just a political psyop to get us to think about uh, how we should live our lives you know that's what, <laughs> that's what I'm getting to a, to that's a what certain, I'm getting from you Joey to a, to a certain extent the son of God actually is a is a very political statement because Guess who else was said to be the son of God? I know this because we already talked about it. It's the Roman emperor. We did. Exactly. And so when you say, oh, ours is the son of God. What We talked about this in, in which episode? Was this David Hume on Miracles? Uh, maybe. I don't remember. I don't, it doesn't matter. We talked about, this in we talked about it in an episode. But... Just listen to the whole catalog, you know? <laughs> Just give our entire uh, corpus another. Give it, a, <laughs> give it another listen. <laughs> and so... These are all these are all sort of like political, but also theological and social yeah. statements about like, oh, who is this person and what tradition are we tying them to? Why should we listen yeah. to them? And what message is this person? What message is this this now preaching? So yes. 
questions, comments, concerns before we move into the next large section. I mean, to me, Joey, it just sounds like you're doing what these apostles did. You're just redescribing all this shit to fit with our modern desires, and uh, I think you're full crap. That's that's a fair <laughs> point. I, um, I'm I'm guilty of doing that yeah. a lot, <laughs> but I but I don't think so. <laughs> this makes a lot more sense. But but so I don't think so. A lot of, <laughs> a, lot of a lot of my understanding of what what prophets are and what they do is well summarized and informed by the works of Carlos Mesters. He's a Latin American theologian slash like community Bible study leader. He would lead these biblical circles, which were really revolutionary if you were Catholic, but like kind of, it's like old hat to Protestants. Protestants do just, you know, I'm coming from the Methodist. They just do it way better. We did it. We've been doing it better and longer in the Methodist church. There so. it is. But he has a really good book about reading the prophets in like local communities with not a lot of formal education. Right. And he describes prophets that prophecy is not in its origin. It does not come from the side of power of the institution, of the organization, of the rational, the government, the system, it arises much more from the side of poetry, inspiration, the ecstasy of music, of dreams, of vision, of beauty, of the popular, of art, of intuition, of the oracular. These are words that indicate a determined understand, a way of understanding reality and taking a posture in the face of reality. He goes on to say that prophets, what defines a prophet and what makes a prophet a prophet is that they are in tune to the spirit of God and they are in tune to the reality that is around them. And that the prophet has two primary roles or like things, activities, projects that they do. One is denouncing sin. And so you're calling out sin. Isaiah has like a whole diet, like diatribes in, in, tons of his chapters in isaiah 58 he talks about what it means to truly fast and he's he gets to the point that like oh you fast but you exploit your workers you fast but you oppress people you like marginalize others etc etc and so that's that's one is you're calling out sin and mostly the sin of the powerful this is what masters is arguing and i happen to agree with him the second part is announcing Mm. And Carlos Mestres has a really kind of like interesting, and he likes to write sort of like poetically descriptively, partly because that's kind of his vibe, but also because, you know, he works with uh, people without a lot of formal education. Right, and that's easier to wrap your head around. Exactly. And he says that um, the prophet is like a photographer that looks on the past, takes out slides of the most beautiful things that people have lived in in their walk with God. He puts up a light, the light of faith behind this slide, and he projects through the screen onto the future, saying to the people, this is what you can expect. This is what you can hope for. And so when Hosea says, remember when God took you out of Egypt, this is a slide that he's taking from the past and he's projecting onto the future. His prophecy is, so it is in fact a prophecy you like that twist, Matt? So it's a prophecy if I adopt this random guy's definition of what prophecy is? Carlos Mesters is a huge deal in Latin American theology. Okay. And especially popular... He's hot. Um, he's hot right now. Uh, lectura popular de la Biblia. He's hot right now. Or in English they call it... Yeah, he's super hot. <laughs> well, it was, you know, in the 70s. Oh, okay. um, I get you. But he's projecting forth, if you remember this, if you remember what God has done for us, if you remember this alliance, this is what you can expect to come. 
And so then when later writers look back at the prophecy and they say, oh, we want to tie our guy, we want to tr- tie this revolutionary movement to, um, to the message that Isaiah or Hosea was, or Micah was talking yep. about, we're going to reference the, uh, the things that they're talking about. And part of this is is because it's like poetic and it like ties it to this movement. It gives it some like layer of authenticity, but it also is a way of of sneaking these these messages in. In Revelation, it's a lot more coded than in the. No, what do you mean? Revelation's re- that shit's real. It's gonna happen. That's, That's gonna, gonna happen. happen. Yeah, yeah. The dragon's back. <laughs> um, the dragon's back, baby. To home, and so. Uh, and so part of the reason it's sneaky is because you want to hide this from the authorities right. who, by the way, at the time of writing the gospel, had just burned down the temple right. in Jerusalem. So this is not a great time to be going around saying, oh, but we remember that our God is going to like we're, get us we're out. We're going to win. Well, there's the Hosea, the, the Hosea track or like um, story talks about, you know, Egypt that like you know, you have you're tying it back to all these traditions that talk critique oppression, so they're denouncing oppression. Number one thing that the prophet has to do denouncing sin, and two they're announcing what could be that's dangerous and threatening to an empire that's occupying your territory and is bent on oppressing and taking advantage of you. That's interesting because that this is like a very generic model. It doesn't have to be in even Abrahamic traditions or anything like that. Although maybe it's more frequent there. I don't know. It's it's. Uh... Oh. Generic, not in a bad way, but in the sense that, like, any culture with a historical tradition could make use of this model of sort of appropriating um, stories and narratives from the past and projecting them forward in order to denounce sin or, you know, whatever you want to call it. and Denounce sin and announce grace or paradise or the kingdom of God or the reign of God. Right. Well, I mean, okay, so if you were in a non-Abrahamic tradition, you'd have to maybe supplement that with something else. But... Yeah, it's not it doesn't seem like it would be that hard to, to do. No, exactly. And, you know, I think that it's something that's maybe not uniquely Abrahamic, but it's it's iconic. Yeah. Yes. And um, exemplary of, of Abrahamic literature. Because, you know, what I thought so, of when you brought this up yeah. was the way that um, immediately I'm thinking of like Frederick Douglass and, and like early anti-slavery movement type stuff where people would. Mm-hmm. I mean, even though many of the founding fathers owned slaves those people would appeal to mm-hmm. things like you know sentiments embodied in like the declaration of independence or the constitution or whatever and uh you know like i douglas's relationship with the constitution is really complicated yeah. but there was this prophetic dimension of okay first we appeal to this story project it forward and then pr- announce that like a more perfect union is possible mm-hmm. blah 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 so this sort of yeah. structure yeah is, exactly you know, it's doable that's like kind of the good way of seeing prophecies. It's like I think is like theologically interesting yeah. and robust and like socially has like constant like positive. And yet, this isn't what you did but in your campaign, Joe. <laughs> that's not. And yet, that's not what I did in my campaign. My campaign was not about um, denouncing and <laughs> and denouncing the a, kingdom of God. <laughs> no, it was it was yeah, real. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So. Uh, so we talked a lot about prophets. We talked about prophecies. We talked about your uh, little your gerrymandered interpretation to make the Bible less kooky. So, <laughs> so what's um what's the mechanical payoff for this? What can we learn? Oh, you want to you want to as gamers? 
what can we learn as game? Okay, so I have I'll I'll tell you because I did this was my episode. I did most of the the thinking behind it. Yeah. I have points, big points, concluding points, big points about how to use this in the game. You can use it as commentary on on the world that's that's going around in your in your campaign. Yeah. That like it can be a way for you know maybe there's a prophet NPC that calls out injustice by like speaking in in prophecies, or maybe there's like this ancient prophecy that provides a hint to the fact that, oh, the king is actually secretly yeah. evil because there's this prophecy that, like, oh, the demon will sit on the throne or something, or I don't know. Oh, dude, that's too obvious. It's, it, is, it was just off the top of my head. The demon will sit on the king's throne wearing a crown. <laughs> what could it mean? Yes. Yep, yeah, I mean, yep. that, that that that's an interesting idea, but if you're going to do it, you got to really think about it to make it more of a puzzle because otherwise it's going to be stupid like Joey just, like, like Joey's idea. Yeah. <laughs> You could use it as yeah. a riddle. Oh, there's this puzzle, and like if we if we figure out this this riddle that's written as a prophecy for like thematic reasons, or because like prophecies are kind of a staple of the the fantasy genre, and it's kind of yeah. fun to to include them, and they they provide a certain like sense of feeling and like mysticism and 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 mystery when done in a way that is not right. Yeah, no, that works. I, I would so. agree. I think they should be included, but not as a regulative like norm that the DM is using. Do you know what I mean? Like, if you're going to include it, definitely make it character who's like some crazy old guy who's who's doing it. You know, like old Ben. Yeah, 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 yeah. Except well, no, old Ben no, might old use ben. prophecies as pickup lines. True, true, true. Which true. I will not do here. But if true. you know, I you can imagine what they might be, Joey. I will avoid avoid doing that at all. Just picture it in your mind's eye. Okay. <laughs> Don't think about it. So. <laughs> So that's that's either one or two episodes on well, prophecies. It was two hours, Everybody? so it's probably two hours, two episodes. All right, there, it is, there we folks. go. Prophecies, very special, and happy holidays. I hope that when you're sitting in church because your parents yep. made you go while you were back in town for the holidays, right. that when the pastor says something like, "Ah, yes, we know that this happened because of the prophecy," you'll, you'll know, know better. better. You'll know that God ordered the world out of a dead dragon. Exactly, and you'll be able to raise your hand <laughs> in the middle of mass and be like, "Um, actually, um, actually, <laughs> actually, this didn't happen." I listen. I listen to a podcast that is ostensibly about <laughs> tabletop gaming, and they said you're yeah, full of shit. Yeah. Re- learn the lore. <laughs> learn the lore, noobs. noobs. Okay. Hap- yeah. Happy holidays from Dungeons and Dialectics, and oh, ho, ho, ho ho ho. Merry Christmas. Coming straight out of Nazareth, crazy motherfucker named Jesus. Fuck with me and I'll cut you into pieces. Pimp game, I'm turning tricks all the time. Making good girls bad like water out of wine. This is my anthem, you better take it serious. I slept to carpentry so I became a lyricist. But fuck it, this way I be getting more bitches. I got Diana but she ain't my only princess. First was a leper, that's why I left her. I needed a doctor, not talking about pepper. If you turned on, baby, don't feel wrong. I ain't no virgin, I'm like my mom. 